Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind. Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Gird up your loins like a man. I'll question you and you shall declare to me. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me, if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? <laughs> Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? Or what were its bases sunk? Or who laid its cornerstone? When the morning stars sang together and all the heavenly beings shouted for joy? Or who shut the sea with doors when it burst out from the womb? When I made the clouds its garment and thick darkness its swaddling band and prescribed bounds for it and set bars and doors and said, Thus far shall you come, and no further, and here shall your proud waves be stopped. When evening had come, Jesus said to his disciples, Let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd behind, they took with them in the boat, just as he was. Other boats were with him. A great gale arose, and the waves beat into the boat, so that the boat was already being swamped. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion, and they woke him up and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? He woke up and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. Then the wind ceased and there was a dead calm. He said to them, Why are you afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great awe and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Please do be seated. Now, I believe some of you went in the early 2000s, as I did, to hear a storytelling of the whole of Mark's gospel in one evening. It gave a whole new perspective on all sorts of things. And I particularly remember how this story, the stilling of the storm, comes as a bit of a shock. Before it, there are lots of sort of domestic-scale parables about things like sowing seed or hiding lamps under baskets. The message seemed to be that the kingdom of God is not a thing of great drama or power, but subversive and quietly growing. But then comes the stilling of the storm. And the Jesus who's been telling these winsome stories is somehow also the Jesus who has power over wind and waves. Not surprisingly, the gospel we've heard today says that the disciples were filled with great awe. Actually, that reminds me of the film The Greatest Story Ever Told, a film version of the life of Jesus. In, the, in it, the actor John Wayne was playing the centurion, witnessing Jesus' death on the cross. During the filmer, filming, he delivers the line, surely this man was the son of God. And the director says to him, great, John, but could you do it with a bit more awe? And he says, Oh, surely this man was the Son of God. So the disciples were filled with awe. 
I wonder how many of us were filled with even a little bit of awe as that gospel was read. If you were, all credit to you, but the trouble is we can too easily either dismiss this story as a tale that's nice for children, or say that it's supposed to be some kind of allegory, or even accept that it happened, but not really think about what that means. A few years back, quite a few years back now, I was on a sailing course off the west coast of Scotland. The skipper's way of training was pretty hands-off. I was a kind of rookie just learning the ropes, but he had people on board who were actually learning how to be skippers. And he only stepped in when really necessary, so he let them make the decisions. When we, that was all fine most of the time, but when we hit rough weather and he wasn't directing the trainees to reef the sails in, I got pretty nervous. And more nervous still when we appeared to be struggling even when we were just on the poles. Eventually we did get into the port safely and I think I could probably say at that point I'd never been more scared in my life. At any moment I thought the boat would go down or I'd be hurled overboard by the force of the wind and the waves. In that context, if our skipper had been asleep downstairs, um, I, I wouldn't have been upset. I'd have been incandescent with rage. But if he'd come up and said, be still, and then everything had gone calm, I think I would have been even more afraid. In fact, the translation of Mark's gospel we've just heard is a bit weak on this one. Great awe sounds jolly dignified, doesn't it? But a direct translation of the Greek is that they feared a great fear. Not that they were afraid or that they feared a fear, but that they feared a great fear. Basically, they were terrified of Jesus. They saw his power and they came up with the question, who is this? But as I noticed at the storytelling evening, Jesus doesn't do this sort of thing on every page of the Gospels. That's why it's such a shock what he does. The only other obvious drama in Mark is the transfiguration when Peter, James, and John get to see what Jesus really looks like. And it completely blows them away then too. Jesus doesn't generally do showpieces to show people who he is. In fact, in Mark's Gospel, in particular, he's notoriously reticent about telling people who he is. And the same is true today. Most of you here won't have had some kind of vision of Jesus or an overwhelming experience of the love of God, which made you fall to the ground in awe. God is, to my mind, quite infuriatingly discreet. Why is that? Well, perhaps it has something to do with the way that God operates, that he waits for our response, like he waited for Mary's yes before coming to earth. So why did Jesus still the storm then? Why did he do it if God's so concerned not to force his great glory on us? Well, maybe because we also need to be reminded just who God, who Jesus really is. Someone once said to me recently that at some church meetings, it's almost as if we're saying to God, now don't you worry, God, we've got all our plans sorted. We don't need to trouble you at the moment. 
And so I'm not hugely worried about worried that the church post-COVID is pretty much in the middle of a storm, particularly in terms of the giving of time and talents. The ship, in some places, is looking like it's about to sink. And why? Well, perhaps because our God is too small. And this crisis may help us to see just how big he really is. I don't think it's any accident that the stilling of the storm comes after a load of teaching about how the kingdom grows. The seed doesn't grow and bear fruit because the sower stands over it and yells, Grow, blast you! In the same way, I don't think that Jesus meant any of us vicars to stand up and yell, Give your time and cash, bless you, to our flocks. For people to give of their time or their treasure, they must have a vision of who it is that they're giving to. And that all starts with a clear vision of who Jesus is. I think the disciples needed at least once to catch a glimpse of the glory of God in Jesus so that they knew who it was that they were following, that he was someone worth dying for and living for. And if we have that vision, We can face all kinds of difficulties and still carry on. With vision, we can continue in the face of storms and sufferings. With vision, we are prepared to become hilarious givers because we know who we're giving to and that the same God has his good plans both for us and for those around us. Now, our first reading was not from the New Testament as usual. I chose it from the book of Job, partly because it's one of my favorite books of the Bible. And that's because it doesn't really come up with any answers to suffering. The best bit of all, to my mind, is when God God says to Job's so-called comforters, you have not spoken of me what is right, as my servant has done. It's, in, it's my favorite because, in effect, God is praising Job for being honest in his questioning and struggling, whereas his friends are trying to neat, uh, neatly tie everything up as some kind of equation where Job's sufferings are related to his actions. They're trying to pin the blame on Job for all the things that had happened to him. And because Job is honest with God, he's rewarded at the end by a vision of God, which doesn't take away any of his sufferings, but completely changes his perspective on them. We are being called by Jesus to join with him in the work of this parish. We don't know what that will mean in practice, and we know we have a challenge to grow and change, Many of us are also facing big personal challenges and suffering. We may, like Job, be saying to God, where are you, God? What are you up to? Or like the disciples, do you not care that we are perishing? God knows both about our questioning and our suffering but perhaps we need to remind ourselves too of his awesome, perhaps even frightening power. 
the Jesus who promises to be with us always in our troubles and our sufferings is also the Jesus who stilled the storm and raised the dead and who will come again as our master and judge. So why he, he may not still all the storms that we're experiencing right now? It's not because he is too weak. So let's pray to be given a new vision of Jesus. A new vision where we can perhaps pray with more confidence and ambition, but also so that we can ride out our storms and know the right bearing on which to sail into the future that he has already prepared for us.